1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Does that sound familiar to anybody? If you were here on Thursday, it sounds familiar to you. Um, It was one of the verses that we looked at in chapter 8. That's pretty much, in a nutshell, what we learned on Thursday night. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you've been with us, um, you know that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the whole book, in response to specific questions from the church at Corinth. They were sitting around, it seems, and, and saying, hey... Since you've got Paul on the line there, can you ask him this question? Uh, They've been asking him questions about marriage, divorce, singleness, all these different things. Um, And on Thursday, in chapter 8, Paul answered the question, Is it okay or is it wrong to eat food sacrificed to idols? Now, how many of you had that problem this week? Wondering? No? Okay. Um, What we discovered was that it it answered a much bigger question, something that actually does have real bearing on our lives, which is this. How do you deal with the areas of conscience? Meaning, how how am I supposed to act when the things that I might have freedom to do, according to the Bible, are offensive to someone else? Like, where the scriptures are silent, where the scriptures give you latitude, but another brother says, how could you do that? Those were the things... Those were the things that we were uh, looking at in chapter 8. For instance, like TV shows, certain TV shows maybe, or going to movies, or certain movies, or smoking, or having a drink with dinner. What if your conscience says to you, yeah, I can do that. There's no problem with that. The Bible doesn't say specifically I can't do that. What if your conscience says, I can watch that, I can do that, I can go there, but your brother says, how could you? Well... That was Thursday. I encourage you to get the CD. We're not going to go over all that again. But the long and short of it is this. That knowledge, Paul says, puffs up. But love builds up. Paul says, look. Back in chapter 8, he says, look, it's okay to eat this meat, this sacrifice to idol. Logically, we, we know that. He says, logic says you have the right to eat that meat. You have that right to drink that or to watch that or to go there. But Paul concludes... Not what what does logic say, but what does love say? Look with me at chapter 8, verse 11, as Paul wraps up chapter 8. He's talking again to those who would eat this meat, sacrifice to idols. They're they're coming out of the temple of, let's say, Aphrodite with uh, barbecue sauce on on their mouth. He says, verse 11, And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul says, look, knowledge puffs up. It it inflates your head, but love builds up. Logic says, yes, I have the right to do this, but love says, no, I will lay down my rights for your sake. The whole theme here in chapters 8, 9, and 10, Paul is getting at this. It's all about not demanding our rights, but surrendering. Our rights. Now, this is a message very clearly appropriate for America, where we have been trained from when we were knee-high to a grasshopper, stand up for your rights, demand your rights. This morning, this, this morning Paul will say, look, take me for instance. He says, he's going to spend these first four, 14 verses that we're looking at this morning defending his rights as an apostle. He says, look, I have these rights. But the last five verses, verses 15 through 19, he's going to say, 
but you know what? I'm going to give up these rights. In verse 14, in the first 14 verses, Paul builds his logical case for his own rights as an apostle. Knowledge puffs up. But in the last five verses, Paul says, I'm going to give up these things for love's sake. Love builds up. And you know the way love builds up usually is by giving up. The way that love builds up another person or a relationship is by the fact that I give up my rights. I give up something of myself. You guys want an outline for today? Sometimes we have an outline that makes it a little easier to follow in case you fall asleep, which may happen. By the way, did you see that um, the, they think they found the um, ship of Blackbeard? Anybody see that? I think they found the ship of Blackbeard and the pirate. The only reason I mention it is because our outline here, once again, is filled with R's. Verse 1 and 2 declares, Paul declares his resume as an apostle. He says, look, here's my qualifications as an apostle. Verses 3 through 6, Paul defends his rights as an apostle. Verses 7 through 14, Paul will detail his reasons for declaring these rights. And verses 15 through 19, though, Paul will decline his rights as an apostle. Look with me now at verses 1 and 2. Here Paul declares his resume as an apostle. He says, look, I'm an apostle. Let me prove it to you. Verse 1, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul starts off by saying, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? What Paul's getting at is, remember, it's, this is, there were no chapter divisions when Paul wrote this. He didn't say, okay, now chapter 9. No, this is all one thought. He says, look, you Corinthians, you're very concerned about your rights. You're very concerned about maintaining your rights and defending your rights and not letting anyone take away your right, for instance, to eat this meat. Paul says, look, if you want to talk about rights, let's talk about the rights of an apostle. Paul says, don't I have certain rights, certain privileges, certain freedoms? Paul says, you want to talk about rights, let's talk Turkey. Now, we're going to talk about the rights that Paul has in a second. But first, Paul declares his resume as an apostle. He says, have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? See, that was a requirement. That was, it needed to be on a resume of anyone who called themselves an apostle. Today, today there are people who call themselves apostles. They might be Correct if they're, if they're meaning in a really general sense, which means to be sent. But one of the requirements for the 12 apostles was that you had to have seen Jesus in the flesh. You had to have seen the resurrected Lord because their, their assignment was to be witnesses, eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Paul says, have I not seen Jesus resurrected? Paul saw him in person. Paul saw Jesus in person in the flesh, number one, on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. You can look it up. He, on, in Acts 18, Paul saw Jesus here in Corinth. You might remember, Jesus appears to Paul and says, Do not be afraid, Paul, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Paul saw Jesus in Acts chapter 22 in a jail in Jerusalem. He said, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Paul had seen the resurrected Lord. 
So that, that goes on his resume. He says, uh, then he says, uh, the end of verse 1, Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What's he mean there when he says, you are my, the seal of my apostleship? A, a king in those days would have a, a ring, he would have a signet, and he would put his seal upon anything to say, look, this has my authority. When they said, uh, as we go through the, the resurrection story, when Jesus was put in the tomb and they closed the, uh, the door with the, the rock, and then it says they sealed it. What they mean is they put this piece of wax there and, and the, uh, the ring of the authority went upon that wax and says, basically, anybody who opens this is punished uh, by death. So Paul says, look, you guys are the proof. You are the proof of my apostleship in the Lord. You are my work, he says, in the Lord. You are the seal of my apostleship. In other words, Paul says, look, the very fact that you guys were saved, the very fact that there is a church in Corinth, the very fact that you guys, Paul says to, to the, these Corinthians, that you're going to heaven are my seal of approval as an apostle. He says, look, even if other people don't see it, certainly you should. Paul was an apostle. He definitely was an apostle. He planted the church in Corinth and in so many others. We talk about Paul like, really, he's kind of the Johnny Appleseed of the New Testament. He goes around planting churches everywhere. Paul has declared now his resume as an apostle, okay? He's declared his resume. Now, number two, verses three through six, we're going to see Paul defends his rights as an apostle. Look at verse three. He says, my defense to those who examine me is this. He says, if, if you have a question about this, here's what I tell you. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife or do also the as do other excuse me as do other, also the other apostles the brothers of the Lord and Cephas or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working Paul says since you Corinthians are so concerned about preserving your rights Paul says verse 4 do we have no rights to eat and drink now he's not saying are we supposed to starve no, see, it was the, the right of an apostle or a prophet, anybody who came into town who ministered to the church, it was the right, their right to be taken care of by the church. Someone in the church was supposed to take them in. Someone in the church was supposed to give them a place to stay and provide their meals. This was very common practice. It was understood in the church. Apparently, no one had ever offered this to Paul in Corinth. Because we know Paul made tents to support himself. And what's crazy is that the, the, the Greeks, they looked down upon manual labor. So think about this. Paul comes into town. He plants the church. Nobody offers to put him up. So he, he starts making tents. And now they look at him. And as we've gone through the first Corinthians, we've seen some people have lost respect for Paul. He's like, well, he must not be an apostle. He has to provide for himself. But nobody's thinking, well, maybe we should be providing for him. They didn't pay Paul, and when he went to take up manual labor, some of them started to not take him seriously. This was not normal practice for an apostle. The church was supposed to take care of him. And furthermore, if Paul's family had traveled with them, they were supposed to take care of Paul's family too. Look at verse 5. He says, Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Now, most scholars think that Paul 
had been married, but probably is not at this point. He's either widowed or maybe his wife has left him. But Paul's point is this. Look, you guys are so concerned about your rights. Shouldn't, if I wanted to, shouldn't I have the same rights as the other apostles? He mentions the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter. He's talking about three people individually here. James and Jude were the flesh and blood half-brothers, if you will, of Jesus. Right? And by the way, this argues against the doctrine of uh, Mary's perpetual virginity. Because here he mentions that Jesus has two half-brothers. Now, he also says, though, whenever Peter goes and comes and visits the churches, including yours, then you guys put up him and his family. Now, this argues against the idea that Peter, the first pope, was not married, that he was celibate. No, it says right here that he had a family and that, in fact, his family was provided for by the church. So James, Jude, and Peter apparently were all family men. And when they went into Corinth, they took their families with them and people put them up. And the church picked up the tab. Not so with Paul. Paul had rights. And in Corinth, Paul had been wronged. Verses 1 and 2, Paul declared his resume as an apostle. Verses 3 through 6, he defends his rights as an apostle. Now, in verses 7 through 14, Paul will detail his reasons for defending his rights here. Now, in case you're getting bored with the, with the uh, outline as it is, this particular section, verses 17 through 14, 7 through 14, can also be broken down into three sections. Paul could, you could say, Paul says, look, I have these rights because, number one, logic says so. Number two, the law says so. And number three, the Lord says so. Look with me at the first section. Logic says so, Paul says. Paul, Paul uses logic here to defend his right to be paid for, uh, to uh, be supported by the church. He says, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. Paul says, look, logic says that a man who is devoted to building up the church deserves to be supported by that church. He uses three illustrations, right? He likens the servant of God to a soldier, to a farmer, and to a shepherd. Paul says, verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense. If you were to sign up to, in the army to go to Iraq today, they wouldn't say, hey, don't forget to bring your own tank. Don't forget to, to bring your own fighter jet. No, they provide you your gear, they provide your food, they provide your place to stay. Paul says, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruits? Paul says, would you say to a farmer, look, hands off those potatoes, don't want you to eat any of those potatoes. No, he says the farmer is um, provided for, he's fed by the field that he works in. Paul says, continuing on, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Paul says, would you say to a shepherd, don't touch that milk. No, the shepherd is supported by the sheep that he cares for. Paul is building his case here to defend his rights. Now, don't get wrapped up in this because we're going to see. Paul basically is going to lay all these things down. But he is, just like he did in chapter 8, he's saying, look, knowledge puffs up. He said, I, I could puff myself up here. He says, logic says that it's right to pay to provide for your, uh, your apostle. 
He says, logic says so, but also, verse 8, the law says so. He says, do I say these things as a mere man? Is it just custom that I'm referring to? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written, verse 9, in the law of Moses, he says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. He's quoting Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Paul says, look, it says right here in Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, when you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, that's not very flattering. He's saying basically um, even an ox gets cared for here. What's interesting to me, if you go back and look in Deuteronomy 25, if you look at that verse, you'll find out the whole rest of the chapter is all about human relations. But there in the midst of this chapter about human relations, you find this one verse that sticks out almost that says... You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Paul says, continuing on, is it oxen God is concerned about? Do you think that he's really that concerned about those oxen? I mean, oxen can't even read. Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. Paul says, look, He compares himself to an ox. He compares any Christian worker, any pastor to an ox. Thanks, Paul. And he says, look, God sticks this verse in the middle of a chapter on human dealings. Hmm. I mean, he who plows should be able to look forward to tasting some of the fruit. He says, he who threshes should be able to look forward to tasting some of the bread. Paul continues to build his case. Verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things for you, Is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Now, after all, Paul would say, which are which are more valuable? Spiritual things we know are eternal. Material things are temporal. Now, here's the problem. This is where a lot of preachers, they just camp right here. Let's talk about this verse a lot. That's what they say. And to tell the truth, when when they do that, they betray their motives, because what they're saying is, Look, temporal things are a lot more important to me than they should be. But I digress. Let's, let's go on, continue as Paul is building his case. We're going to talk about those guys in a little bit. Verse 12, he says, If others are partakers of this right over you, Paul or Peter and James and Jude, he says, If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more because we planted the church? If James and Jude and Cephas are supported by you, then what gives? Paul is saying... And he's almost done making his case. Paul pretty much has them here dead to rights. That, by the way, is the title of the message. Dead to rights. Paul is basically, he's built his case so well that anybody who reads this is like, wow, I guess you're right. We really didn't do right by you, Paul. He has them dead to rights. He says, verse 12, nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Oh, wait, and a couple more things. Paul thought of a couple more things here to add to his case. Verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things of the, excuse me, who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? This is true. If you've spent any time reading the Old Testament, you know that the priests ate the meat that was sacrificed. They would they would come and part of their their payment, the way that they survived, was by uh, partaking of that which was brought to the altar. So Paul is making this case here. He says, look, logic says so. The law says so. 
And lastly, verse 14, Paul says, look, the Lord says so. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Where did the Lord command that? Matthew 10. You can turn there if you want, but you don't need to. Matthew 10, verses 7 through 9, you might remember it says, Jesus is is sending out the twelve, and he says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Paul's doing all these things, by the way. Freely you have received, Jesus says, freely you give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Jesus says that in Matthew 10. Plus, in Luke 10, Jesus says something similar. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Paul's built his case. I wouldn't want to get into an argument with Paul. I wouldn't want to get into a a logical debate with Paul. Paul has these guys dead to rights. Paul says to this group of believers who, remember, were really concerned about their own rights. He says, Paul says, look, I have rights, too. Verses 1 and 2, he declared his resume as an apostle. Verse 3 through 6, he defended his rights as an apostle. Verse 7 through 14, he details his reasons. He gives great reasons. But now we come to the fourth one, the fourth R. Paul declines his rights as an apostle. Verse 15. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. Because if you're like me, you're reading and you're almost like, okay, Paul, hint, hint. All right, we get it. All right, we'll pay you. No, he's like, no, that's not what I'm getting at. He says, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul says, don't misunderstand me. He says, I would rather die than take a penny from you. I'd rather die than you to take from me this one thing that I have, which is I can boast about this. He says, look, I can't boast about preaching. He says, because God has called me to preaching. He's like, I'm compelled to do that. No matter what happens, God has said, you will preach. So he's like, I can't, I can't say, look, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that I'm preaching. He says, but wait, I can be proud of the fact that I am doing this free of charge. Paul says, look, I'd be miserable if I didn't preach the gospel. See, that's a mark of a true minister of the gospel. One who says, it doesn't matter if I'm paid or not. I have to preach the gospel. Verse 17 says, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Paul says, if I preach without pay, which he was doing, willingly, I have received a reward. But if I preach without pay unwillingly, well, I'm simply being faithful as a steward. Let me simplify it because I had a hard time making sure I nailed this down. I think what he's saying is, look, you can pay me now or he can pay me later. Jesus, my Lord, my King can pay me later. This reminds me of the time when Jesus said, talking about the hypocrites, he's like, don't be like those hypocrites. Don't blow a trumpet when you give. Because the hypocrites would come and they would like, okay, everybody gather around. They blow a trumpet. Okay, I'm about to give of my mighty wealth. Aren't I great? And Jesus said, don't be like those hypocrites that when they, when they fast, 
when they deny themselves food, he says they put ashes on their head and they draw in their faces. Look, oh, poor me. I'm so holy. Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus says, when you pray, don't make a big production. He says, when you give, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. He says, if you do these things, these things that are good to do, if you do them not to be seen of men, then you will receive your reward from the Father in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather be rewarded by the Father in heaven. You can pay me now or he can pay me later. The principle is this. You guys are like, it's been a long time since we've really had an application here. Here it is. When possible, defer payment in favor of investing. I don't have this in my notes and because we've talked about it before. I don't want to belabor the point. But right now, I don't, I'm not having a salary from the church and I love it that way. The Lord's providing for me in a wonderful job that doesn't require for this church to pay me. I'm saying it's a joy for me, and I hope it's a joy for you guys, to, when possible, defer payment in favor of investing. Right? That can be in, in all sorts of ways. Uh, serving here in the children's ministry, in set up and tear down, all that stuff. Paul says, he kind of goes on, verse 18, what is my reward then? In other words, Paul says, if I'm declining support from you, how is it that God's paying me? Verse 18 again, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. See, the problem in Corinth is the exact same problem we have in America. Many people looked at Christian service as a meal ticket. In Paul's day, there were a lot of religious entrepreneurs who were out to preach the message of the gospel to get money. And that had given Christianity a bad name. Hmm, does that sound familiar? See, Paul was happy to distance himself from those kind of people. When it says he's boasting, the word means to be distinctive. He's basically saying, I'm glad that I am not associated with that kind of thing. He was happy to distance himself by never taking an offering so that nobody thought, oh, well, this guy's just in it for the money. This, by the way, is why we have a box in the back. This is why we choose not to put you on the spot when it comes to giving. Now, make no mistake, and I have to say this whenever these things come up, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you you're supposed to give. It's good to give. That's what basically Paul's saying over and over again here, right? You're supposed to give. It's good to give, but... The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, meaning one who gives without compulsion, without being forced to. So we realize, I realize, that the whole money thing in church is a stumbling block for some people. It was a stumbling block for my dad. My dad has barely set a foot in a church since he was stumbled by the fact that it was very obvious that this particular church was only interested in him for his money. Because this money thing can be a stumbling block, look back at verse 12. He says, Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but we endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. The word hinder there, it actually means literally a cutting. And it was a cutting that was made in a road to impede an enemy in pursuit. 
If you were running, trying to get away from somebody and you had some time, it was a, a big army or whatever, you would make a trench right here behind you so that those people that were coming behind you would stumble and they would fall in and they wouldn't be able to uh, pursue you as quickly. The point is this. Paul says, look, I know there's a lot of preachers out there that are just trying to get your money. I know that it's become a stumbling block. He says, so I've taken that away. I've taken away that stumbling block. This whole message started back in chapter 8, right? Paul says, look, I have a right. We have the right. Logic says we have the right. But what does love say? He says, I will remove that stumbling block. That's why we have done in this church what we can to remove that stumbling block. Paul had these guys dead to rights. But it turns out Paul himself was dead to rights. He didn't demand his rights. The Bible says that if we know Jesus, we have been crucified with him. We are dead. Not only, this is really good news, not only are we dead to sin, our own sin, but we are now also, we should consider ourselves dead to rights. What a blight it is upon the Christian community when Christians demand their rights. Paul was dead to rights. He didn't demand his rights because in his own eyes he was a dead man. He saw himself, the old man, dead, dead to sin and dead to his own rights. He gave up his rights. Hmm, does that sound familiar? Giving up your rights. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even the death of the cross, which, by the way, was the most ignominious, the most painful, the most torturous death possible. Jesus gave up his rights, and the Bible says that by giving up his rights, he gained his reward. Paul gave up his rights. And he says, look, rather than have you pay me or have you put me up for a few moments, for a, a very brief period of time of my life, I'd much rather have the rewards that God has for me. Verse 19, this is where we're going to end, but I want to encourage you to read ahead. We're going to talk about these next Sunday. These are such great verses. Verse 19 starts this way. That's where we're going to end. For though I am free from all men, though I, I have no obligation to, to men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Does that describe you? Does it describe me? I have no obligation to give up my rights to do this thing or to not do this thing. But I choose to lay it down. He says... I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. That's what Jesus said. He who wants to be greatest in the kingdom will make himself the servant of all. And Paul's doing exactly that.